And I invited her to sit with me. And I told her about getting kicked out of the boys' prison. And she was very sweet. She said to me, oh, I will pray for your prison ministry, which of course was very foreign to me because New York Jews do not exactly identify themselves as having ministries, but it was very sweet. And she said, would you come to the convent and talk to us about the boys in the prison? So I thought, what can I lose? <laughs> so I found out from what I'm supposed to do. I brought some vegetables and some gifts and I went to the convent and I showed video of the boys and talked about it. The nuns were crying. One nun said, what a fine boy. Why is he in prison? You know, and I, I didn't know. I never asked them. They say that life is full of opportunities, right? So why are so many of us dreading getting out of bed to face another day? I know what that's like. My life was full of conflict, stress, failure, and fear. When I got cancer for the second time, my choice was simple, change or die. Today, I love waking up. I love my life. I love owning my own business that is helping people learn and grow. So how do you unlock that kind of transformation in your life? Let's discover the answers together as we hear from ordinary people like you and me and their extraordinary success stories. My name is Donna Gammon, and this is Power to Grow. Welcome everyone to the show today. I have a special guest for you. She has an amazing story that will just touch your heart and really help you to see that, you know, we can use our gifts to bless and to help others. And even though we go through hardships that, you know, life can still be beautiful. So today my guest is Susan Slotnick, and I'm so excited to have her on the show and share her amazing story. So Susan, in the past 25 years, has gone behind the walls of correctional facilities every week to bring the joy of modern dance to incarcerated men and boys. She choreographs dealt with serious themes geared to inspire audiences and students towards social justice activism. Susan was born to a mother with a borderline personality and a distant autistic father, not the best nurturing environment for a gifted child. She rebelled, she flunked out of school and befriended those her mother had found considered undesirable. She basically lived her life completely at odds to the one that would have originally been expected. So Susan, welcome to the show today. Thank you for being here. And um, tell us a little bit more about your, your kind of upbringing, because you shared about your mother and about your father and, and your experiences. Can you take us back there and kind of what you dealt with and, you know, what was the challenges that you were facing then? I grew up in a middle-class home. My mother had a narcissistic personality disorder, which I think I'm now an authority on. I've read so many books about it. And my father was an autistic savant. He had a record store in New York City. And if he saw a record only once, he actually could memorize the, the number, which was uh, sometimes an 11 digit number. So he wow. committed to memory 350,000 record catalog numbers from seeing the number once, like looking in a phone book, and of course, there was no such thing as 
savantism then, and there was no such thing as borderline narcissistic personality disorder. So they were constantly trying to fix each other. My mother wanted him to act normal, and he certainly would have <laughs> he certainly would have appreciated her acting normal. So that was the basic parental piece. I was the middle child, and I had a tremendous amount of spirit maybe too much at the time. And I was very different from my siblings. And as I was growing up, I was fine up until about the age of 10, when I started to fail very badly in school. And things went on a downward spiral, resulting in my flunking out of high school. Mm -hmm. However, during those years, I became extremely interested in civil rights because when I was 10 and just starting to unravel, we actually had a maid who lived with us. And I observed the way she was treated by my family. And then I also observed in my neighborhood, I thought when I was 10 years old, there were only black women in white dresses, wheeling baby carriages, living in the rest of the houses. So it took me a long time to figure out what was going on. <sighs> And then when I got into junior high school and started to do very badly, I started to hang out in the projects with the girls that didn't go to school because there was no real reason for him to them to go to school. They were told by guidance counselors, this is in my past, when I, when I was in junior high school, they were told that they would not be allowed to go to college. They wouldn't get in because they were black. So they weren't allowed oh, to take an academic horrible. track. Yeah, that, well, that was in the North too. Mm -hmm. So they weren't allowed to take academic subjects. So of course, school was not very interesting to them. So I spent a great deal of time with them cutting classes. And that was another form of, I guess, becoming woke, uh, to use a, a phrase of today. And then I had a girl in my seventh grade class I admired and was very jealous of. She was very clean. She was very popular. She had very good family, very loving parents. And she was Jewish like me. And she was reading a book called Exodus by Leon Uris. And it was all about the Holocaust. And I looked at the book. It was a thick book. And I said, I can't be like her, but I can read the books she's reading. So I read the book. And by the time I graduated from high school, I had read every book in the White Plains Library about the Holocaust. Wow. And that was another form of waking me up to the way human beings can treat each other. Mm -hmm. And that sort of was transferred into what I saw as the malign people in my day, which were black people. So between finding out about the Holocaust on the one hand, and seeing what was going on in terms of racism on, in the other, I always, for as long as I can remember, gravitated towards Black culture, Black dance, Black music. And I never even liked the Beatles. It was all Motown for me. I didn't yeah, I, never, I love that. <laughs> That's and of course, when I flunked out of high school, that was kind of tragic. And they found a college for me to go to. It's all in my book where they took anyone that had a pulse. You didn't even have to have a transcript. So I found myself in Charleston, West Virginia, going to Morris Harvey College. And at that time, I became acquainted with the poverty that was going on in this country. And there was one Black student in the whole school. And I went to her house for Thanksgiving. It was in the middle of a holla in Appalachia. And then I kept going to her house. I was, they, they told me I was the only white person that had ever visited the place. So all these things came together. I had a 
brief experience with dance uh, as a young woman with a great school in New York City, but I was a terrible student because I was lazy and recalcitrant. And are we allowed to curse? Um, well, I'd prefer not. <laughs> okay, then I won't. I was going to describe myself with a curse word, but I will not do it then. I was, a, I was pretty much of a mess. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't really train for dance because I didn't know how to work hard at anything. But dance was still a great passion of mine. And when I experienced, it's in my book, and I've wound up talking about it a few times, I lost my virginity in a rape. Mm. Oh. And after oh. that rape, I danced all night. I went home. I didn't tell anybody. I put on beautiful Motown music, the drifter singing some kind of wonderful, this beautiful romantic music. And I danced. And by the morning, I felt kind of healed from the experience, which was a mystery. But now the research on dance, beautiful, smooth movement to very luscious music mm -hmm. changes brain chemistry. It and it actually increases the feel-good muscles in the brain the same way Prozac does. Mm -hmm. So intermittently, I went to college, became a painter. There's one of my paintings. Oh, I love there. it. I love yeah. it. I noticed that. Um, I became a painter. And then I became a writer, all self-taught. And then I started a dance school. But always in the back of my mind was, that night was so healing for me after such a horrifying experience. And by the way, one of five felonious assaults that I experienced growing up. Well, because they can tell who is vulnerable and who is not doing well and who isn't succeeding and who doesn't feel good about themselves mm -hmm. and who comes from a family where they are looking for a father and mother and for nurturing and for love and for romance. So anyway, long story short, all my life, I thought of that night. And then I would think, where can I bring that to other people where horrible things have happened? Because, you know, the men in prison, they're victims as well as perpetrators. Almost all of them are victims, many of them victim of sexual abuse, by the way, I was to find out. Mm -hmm. And so I had this idea that I would go teach dance as a healing art to men in prison. Wow. Now that's a long story and it leaves out a lot of details, but. That's, so, I, so I want to talk about that actually, because you said that there on your website, you have some videos of you dancing and them dancing as well. So tell me a little bit about like, what was the experience for them? So do you invite them to get up and actually do this movement with you? And they just move however they want? Or how does that work? Well, I started in a boys prison. And it was boys between the ages of 12 and 18, mm -hmm. in fairly long term incarceration. So much so that when they turned 18, often they were transferred to an adult prison to serve out the rest of their sentence. Mm -hmm. And they volunteered for the program, primarily because I was bringing two young women their age as assistants, and they go through years never even seeing a woman their own age. So that was the original hook. Uh -huh. But then they fell in love with the dancing. Really? Boys would tell me, I'll scrub the gym floor with a toothbrush if I can get into the dance program. <laughs> and we mounted at least uh, three or four full evening concerts 
where their parents who had never really seen them accomplish anything came up from mostly from New York City and saw them dance. And we do Q&A afterwards and there'd be lots of tears. And many of them, even at that age, were fathers because when you hear about young unwed mothers in, in these urban areas, well, they were, they, there's a father component to that, obviously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so many of them had children and they wanted to really have their children see them do something good. Mm -hmm. Then I got kicked out Why? Of, of the boys' prison after, after six years or five or six years. Was there a reason that they didn't let you come yeah. in? I don't know. Well, there was two reasons. One was the administration changed. And the thing that I want to tell you is that nothing happens because one person did it. The soil has to be right for something to grow. Mm -hmm. So everything I've done, I depended on forward-thinking people, innovative people, people full of heart and soul to allow something like that to happen. So when the administration mm -hmm. changed, the person who came in thought it was gay, mm. believe it or not. You know, this was the mentality. But that wasn't the catalytic event. The catalytic event is very funny. It's like a light bulb joke. So we had a show and we were expecting 200 people in the audience. I got to the place, there was a little stage and all the lights were out. And I said, we have a show coming. We have to get the lights on in on the stage. And the person said, well, that's not in my contract that has to happen because of the people who are you know the custodians here who are who are supposed to do that work I said good go get them they said it's the weekend they're not here so I strong-armed one of the corrections officers to get on a ladder and fix all the lights oh and that was a uh, my light bulb uh experience and I got kicked out after that too oh darn it that's terrible I was very sad I never thought I'd work with um that population again, but I was wrong. Oh, so then you went back. Well, then what happened was I mourned the loss of my dance program. They were the best students I ever had. They all felt like my sons. Mm -hmm. And I was on a bus going to New York City. And a nun was sitting behind me that it turned out I knew from what I refer to as my Catholic period. For a while, I was working for the Catholic Church doing dance events for women's days of prayers and retreats for people with AIDS. And so it turns out I had met this nun and I invited her to sit with me. And I told her about getting kicked out of the boys' prison and she was very sweet. She said to me, oh, I will pray for your prison ministry, which of course was very foreign to me because New York Jews do not exactly identify themselves as having ministries, but it was very sweet. And she said, would you come to the convent and talk to us about the boys in the prison? So I thought, what can I lose? <laughs> so I found out from what I'm supposed to do. I brought some vegetables and some gifts and I went to the convent and I showed video of the boys and talked about it. The nuns were crying. One nun said, what a fine boy. Why is he in prison? You know, and I, I didn't know. I never asked them. Anyway, what finally happened was they told me about a woman named Catherine Vokens, and they said she had an organization called Rehabilitation Through the Arts, and that it was theater in men's prisons in New York State, and I should get in touch with her. 
So I got in touch with her and I told her about the dancing and she said, no, 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 that's never going to happen in a men's prison. I knew it would because I was so familiar with the demographic. Mm -hmm. And to me, we're just all children in aging bodies. You know, we carry our, our, our body's age, but our soul doesn't including the wounds of our soul, which we always carry through our life that either can inform us in a beautiful way or actually in a destructive way. But nevertheless, I can't, she came to my house and she looked at the boys dancing and she was very impressed. And then she said, I'll go back and ask my board members what they think. And they said, absolutely not. She's not gonna get a grown man in a men's prison dancing. Well, the day after she came to my house, I opened my mailbox and there was a letter from somebody who had left my town and it was about her. One of these incredible coincidences and said, mm -hmm. I went to your boy's prison dance program. I know you're sad about losing it. Why don't you get in touch with this woman? Maybe she can help you. She had just been at my house. So I called her up. <laughs> you're going, wow. <laughs> I called her up and I said, this is meant to be. This is, this is beyond coincidence. Let me go in once. So she went back to the men who had been doing theater in the prison. It was a high medium facility. I eventually did get to teach dance, believe it or not, in a maximum security prison in New wow. York. And they loved it too. Anyway, I then spent the next 12 years, 10 or 12 years, not exactly sure, it was so long, with the men in prison, same demographic, same population, same woundedness, same experiences, primarily African-American, some Hispanic, and a few Asian people were in my program, and very few white men mm -hmm. out of the 10 years. And we also mounted full-length concerts that can be, one of them can be, one part of one can be seen on my website, wow. where I re-choreographed for them the first movement from Alvin Ailey's Revelations. And they, they can be seen on the website doing that. It was their favorite dance. They oh, like that. They, to see it. So you have to share what your website is here and we'll share it again later. But what's the website? Susan Slotnick, S-L-O-T-N-I-C-K dot com. And then you go to prison program. There's a lot on there. There's paintings, there's articles that I've written. I've been the columnist for the paper here for the last 35 years. So some of my columns are on there, paintings, choreography, prison program, and also a film, a short film called The Game Changer that was made about me that won first prize at Cannes Film Festival a number of years wow. ago, which was something, again, that was a complete coincidence out of the blue that that opportunity came. Another amazing story of what we have to call coincidence because we just don't have the information to dig much deeper into it than that's that. True, that's it's true. the mystery. The mystery. <laughs> so awesome. And and so I'm sure that once you were able to actually go in and show her what you were doing and let her see the experience, obviously it grew and they were able to you were able to keep performing it, which is beautiful. Um, so have you expanded from there? I know that COVID happened and that changed things a little bit for you. Well, I got a little too old to teach dance and show the movement. I'm, I'm actually 75. Oh, wow. You don't look it. <laughs> no, I don't look it on camera, but I look it 
to me, you know? <laughs> anyway, so I was a little too old. I had an assistant and my assistant became, she got a job somewhere else. Things changed. Uh, there was a terrible prison break in New York State which changed everything in the whole Department of Corrections and things became just much more difficult to accomplish. And then what I did after that, I went into the county jail here and I taught parenting from um, a short experience I had working for the Osborne Society teaching parenting. I taught mindfulness from my five years I spent in a Gurdjieff group. I taught writing because I was I had written the book. I taught dance and I taught art to all people addicted to heroin and suboxone. Wow, totally that's, different that's population, very short term. Mm -hmm. They weren't they were in the county jail for a very short time, very different population, much more difficult mm -hmm. because they knew they were getting out soon. So the the desire to work on themselves was not quite as profound as people who knew this was their life and they had to make something of it where they were. Right. Wow. Yeah, that would be a big change, a big difference. So I know that you actually have written a book. Can you tell us about your book that you have out? The book is called Flight, The Dance of Freedom. My five dance companies, my four professional youth companies on the outside, and my two prison companies were all called figures in flight. And there was a number attached to them. One, two, three, four, five was the boys' prison, six was the men's prison. So that's where the title comes from. The book is kind of two pieces. The first half is basically the story of my life with lots of hardships and difficulties and blessings and people that I met that were very useful and a trip I took around the world in 1969 that was very eye-opening. But almost everything in the first part of the book explains how I wound up in the prisons. The second part of the book is all about the prison program, including, with permission, telling, I think, five or six of the men's lives as they were told to me verbatim mm -hmm. and some of the amazing things that happened to them and for them and for me as a result of us mounting these performances. Wow, that sounds beautiful. It sounds like a great book to really inspire some, you know, change in the world. I mean, you're definitely trying to help them make that change. And I just love that. And I commend you for that. So um, if, the, if, if someone was to get your book, I know you said it was on Amazon. Is that right? You can actually get it right from my website. It'll lead you right to the link. Okay. So your website again is? SusanSlotnick.com. Perfect. We'll make sure those are in the show notes as well. Usually I ask what is one thing that made the biggest shift or change for you to get through your hardship and the things that you went through. I'm guessing that's dance. Is that correct? Or do you have something else that you want to share with us? Well, it's a very interesting question. I think it's not one thing. It's hard to put it down to one thing. Dance certainly helped me on that one occasion and I certainly danced every day and still do I'm just I'm just a dancer mm -hmm. but I can tell you that when I was writing the book I found my diary from when I was 12 years old and I thought maybe there would be a message in there from to answer that question actually from my diary and sure enough 
there was an entry that said, my mother hates me, my schoolmates hate me, I'm flunking everything, I have no friends. Why do I believe in myself so much? Wow. And so what that taught me when I started to teach parenting in the prison, I taught parenting a little bit through the Osborne Society, loved it. I wish I could have done more. One of the lessons was on resilience. And as it turns out, resilience is a heritable quality. It can be inspired in people, but in some people, it's just who was going to make it through the concentration camp? Who was going to survive on the boat trip from Cuba to the United States with no water? I mean, there's just mm -hmm. things in our personal makeup that add to that. But then the best story that I have to tell you about something that really transformed my life for the good is that when I went to Morris Harvey College, after going back there a second year, I became very sick with mononucleosis. And I was sexually abused by the doctor in the hospital. Oh my goodness. And I went back home. That was one of the worst experiences. By the way, I know it's not funny, but when I was writing my book, my daughter said to me, why don't you find him, mom? Did you ever confront him? And I said, no, I figured I was the only person that happened to me. He said, every woman that went into that prison had the same, I'm, I'm sorry, the hospital had the same yeah. experience. So I decided to look him up. He had just died. Oh, you're kidding. Wow. He, I, the, I, the only, I found his obituary from the month before because my daughter said, you need to write to him, even though it's 60 some odd years ago. Well, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> 55 years. Anyway, I came home to live with my family, which was a nightmare. And then I was planning to go to Europe, just bum around Europe and become a painter and meet interesting people. The 60s had already started. So I got in on the ground floor of that I turned my juvenile delinquent self, which I had a juvenile delinquent card. Actually, I was a card carrying juvenile delinquent for an experience I had robbing parking meters in Macy's parking lot with my boyfriend. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> and um, I just traded my costume when the 60s happened from, you know, what looked like a pink lady in that movie. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the way I used to look. And then I just changed it into a hippie thing. And I uh, decided I was going to go to Europe and be this big hippie and this artist and paint big pictures. Anyway, my mother said to me, God bless her, because sometimes she made suggestions that were useful to me somehow. Uh, I think that a, a priest during my Catholic prayer once said to me, God works through your mother in spite of her. <laughs> <laughs> because she also picked my husband from me, which was, that's oh, another really? story. Wow. It's in the book too. Okay. Anyway, well, you know, so occasionally good things happen as a result of, my, of God working through my mother. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, she wanted me to apply to one college. And I didn't want to go to college. I had just had this experience in, Mor in Morris Harvey, this horrible experience. She says, no, just apply. So I apply to New Pulse College, which is where I live now. And I get a appointment for a interview. You know, they, have, they don't give interviews anymore because there's too many people, too many people. that apply. Mm -hmm. And I went for the interview and I dressed for failure. I remember I was wearing combat boots that came above my thighs and I had a tie-dye shirt on and probably no bra, who knows. And the interviewer says to me, 
why do you want to come to New Paltz College? And I said, I don't want to come here. My mother's forcing me. And he laughed. We wound up talking for two hours. Wow. He took a bottle of wine out of his desk. It's in my book. And he toasted me. And he said to me, you're never getting into this college with your grades and your history and your recommendations. But I see something in you that is very special. And I would like you to think about educating yourself in the future. Well, I left there and I forgot about it. Two weeks later, the you're a wonderful listener, by the way, and I've been interviewed a lot. <laughs> I like to listen. I like to hear. Oh, no, you're great. You're great like that. Thank you. Um, two weeks later, I, I, the, the mail came and I see that it's from New Paltz College and I tossed it in the garbage, unopened. Oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't want to go. And he told me I'd never get in anyway. Again, my mother, the dubious blessing, opened it up saw it in the garbage pail, opened it up, and I heard her scream, and she said, you're going to college. Oh, my gosh. Well, he That's must crazy. have pulled some string. I always feel like crying. <laughs> <laughs> this story always makes me teary, and I've told it so many times, but whatever strings that man pulled, that stranger, to change the course of my life, I got there with my new wardrobe because my mother was into that, you know, making sure I had the right clothes and my art supplies because I was going to become an art teacher. And I wanted to find him and thank him. And they said he had taken another job and they were not allowed to give me his contact info. Oh, my goodness. And there were so many times when I'd be in front of the men in the prison and the boys and I would think to myself, wherever he is, he's part of this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no one does anything by themselves wow. nobody I don't care how talented you are mm -hmm. how many web sites you have or podcasts you're on nobody does anything by themselves and the way you know it is that when mm -hmm. the influences which allow you to do what it is that you're doing fade away your own work stops when things happened in the men's prison, when the, uh, when the break, prison break happened, when the administration changed, when a person who was there that really supported the dance programming, the deputy of programming, when she retired, my program was done. And it's so important in today's society with the dissension and the disunity and the separateness between people that people have to know everything you are and everything you do is way beyond the borders of your own body mm. you're connected all the way around with things that will will allow you to do what you do and when this woman retired that was the beginning of the end as well and she wasn't a dancer and she wasn't an artist she was just somebody who could make things happen Mm -hmm. And you were right there to take, to step right in. Right, right. <laughs> I love that. Oh, wow, Susan, your story is just amazing and fascinating to me. Uh, you talked about me listening. I was listening so intently because your story is just so amazing and being able to just, wow, what, I mean, did you ever have an opportunity to find him? I'm just curious, this uh, gentleman that changed your fate and being able to go to college? 
I found him in the face of everybody I taught. Mm, yeah. Every good deed that was done. Mm. Every time I see a kindness of someone on television or something is reported, I find that man. Wow. The, the, this is universal. We, mm. You know, in my tradition, there's the great biblical quote, I set before you life and death choose life. Well, obviously, if that was literal, nobody would ever die. <laughs> what it means is the choice is always in front of you to do the good, to be kind, to go against your own, which we all have selfish instincts. We all have narcissistic instincts. I mean, if people were honest, they would have to admit how many times they might Google their name to see what's being said. Mm -hmm. We all have jealousies. We all have things that are intrinsic to human beings that we can fight with. And that's what's meant by choosing life. Mm -hmm. to, cho say. to choose to, to do the good in spite of the fact that we're all, we're all not always great people. Yeah. We're, we're small people, all of us, yeah. <laughs> Well, um, Susan, again, this was a joy to um, speak with you. I'm really looking forward to checking out your book myself so that I can hear the rest of your story as well. Um, so thank you for being on the show today. We're grateful to have you. And if you ever have another book come out, please let us know. We'd love to have you on the show again. Um, and just, just love that you're still giving back, even if it's in a different form. Maybe it's not dance, but now you're giving in the form of, of words and, and sharing your story. And that's, that's amazing. So thank you for sharing it with us today. This is Donna Gammon, and this is Power to Grow. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave a review now and I will give you a free download of my blessed morning. This is something that is worth so much. It's what I use to get past my past, if you know what I mean. Until our next show, thank you again for joining us. This is Donna Gammon and this is Power to Grow. Thank you.